this is Joy Gilfillan, host of I Change Justice, where members of the Restorative Community Coalition talk civics with people who are living in the aftermath of an arrest. People confronting the compound dilemmas, ripple effects, and consequences on their family, friends, and taxpayers. Listeners' discretion is advised for this information can be disturbing and can trigger an emotional reaction. This is about lived experiences, discussed for taxpayer education, and to advance justice system reform. It is not to be used for legal advice. Hello, this is Joy Gilfellan, host of I Change Justice and executive director of the Restorative Community Coalition, who has been really tracking how people are thinking and what they're experiencing as we are being pressured into buying a corrections facility when what our members believe is actually contraindicated to investing in a local living economy. This episode is to highlight some of the questions and some of the complexities that people are dealing with as we've discovered how many gaps there are in communication and why it is so important that we start working together in community, having these kinds of conversations so we can help each other bridge the gap to the future. Thank you for joining us. I think that what bothers me most is that this anyone who's worked inside of a facility like that knows that it is not a pro-social environment. And I think that concerns me the most is that we are not promoting um, pro-social values, activities, and other uh, ways to spend money that would be an, an assisting citizens rather than incarcerating them. I just want to uh, elucidate a little bit on what's being said about pro-social. There is a movement internationally with what's called pro-social spirituality. And you ask, what is pro-social spirituality? Well, it's a spirituality that is research-based and it's designed to meet the needs of 21st century groups. So it seeks to merge our inner and outer change. It integrates evolutionary science with eight core design principles and with nine elements of universal spirituality. I like that. So Christy, continue with what you were talking about because you've been, you've worked in the prison industrial complex inside and out and you do a lot of training with teens. And what are the, what are you thinking about when you talk about that? Cause you have a different language than many people have. Um, I'm thinking about how we, instead of using this money to, restrict people's freedom that we teach people how to live a more you know have a higher quality of life how to help their children have a better quality of life that we ed use education as a means to this that we focus on the positive things of being human rather than restricting people's freedom and not really producing anything of any significance to help their lives and that's what we have going on now, it appears. And, you know, they may have some peripheral programs that do some things to help people, but it is not sufficient. And, um, you know, the substance abuse problem in our community is going off the rails as it is everywhere in the country. And if we don't spend the money right now on addressing that problem, it will be a revolving door in the jail system. People will not find recovery. They will continually be knocked down further and further and further. Every time they're incarcerated, I cannot imagine, maybe Irene knows, how much um, damage it does to their personal situation financially. Well, not to mention psychically, you know, there is it's it's very hard on people. So in every way, it is not a pro-social movement to have a jail. It just is not. And so that's what I'm saying. So I know that when we did some analysis and Vera Institute of Justice was in Whatcom County, they talked about the fact that there's studies, just recent ones actually, that talk about the 10 times multiplier effect of what it costs families. And so if let's say that it costs $75,000 to house a person in a state prison or whatever uh, per year, you can multiply that times 10. That's different, Frank, than the conversation you just had. That's a 10 times loss 
to the community in terms of divorces, in terms of the social services that have to be paid out, in, turn, in terms of um, the psychological damage that happens to an individual or the entire family and how this ripples out to cause additional social costs in the community. So it really changes your understanding of what does it cost to incarcerate people as opposed to what does it cost to help them? I mean, the cost of of putting somebody back to work or putting somebody back into the workforce is is like an ounce of prevention. It's worth a pound of cure is what we're talking about. When you're talking about the budget and money and the costs, it raises for me the question of the budget is a collective of all of us. Uh, what morally do we want our budget to reflect about all of us? And what do we want the budget to reflect for our future and how we invest in it? Just some really practical questions like that. Well, and when you're looking at budgets, okay, that takes us to another question. People are going, whose budget? What budget? Which budget? Are well, you- what can county budget that would be funding this this uh, jail system, I guess, is what I'm thinking about. Sure. And when you're talking about that budget, you're talking about a corporation. It's a a government corporation that is run by a sheriff, a prosecutor, and an executive who are our law enforcement CEOs. And most people don't really understand. I didn't really understand until the economy got shifted with COVID and we started, the whole economy went actually over to where those three guys were in charge of our budget for Whatcom County. But we didn't really recognize that the budget for Whatcom County is about the budget for managing all of Whatcom County. And Whatcom County is an economy. So you've got a corporation that has a budget and an economy but you also have the ripple effect of that budget on the economy and on the people who live within the economy and are affected by that economy. So there's different kinds of conversations that happen when we talk about corporate and the budget. But ultimately we are the ones who vote on that budget. And we're also the ones who pay all the bills that go along with that. Right. So we have a responsibility to make a good choice with our vote on how we want the budget to be developed and where we want it to go. And I would rather invest in people than in some kind of punitive structure. Absolutely. Goes into maintaining that punitive structure in that system. So I second. Go ahead. I second that, and that is what is. The 42nd uh, district of the Democratic Party had an e- has an email going on right now about this very subject, about someone posted that two of the manufactured home parks in our county, n- the city or county, did not do anything to help with rent control. And now the lot rent has a- a gone doubled to the m- to the tune of a thousand dollars a month. Mm-hmm. So people who own their own homes are being forced to pay $1,000 to park it there because the city and the county have not taken steps to pro- to protect them from this, this predatory stuff. And so this is what the money should be spent on, is helping the citizens, not incarcerating the citizens and knocking them down further, my, in my opinion. That's a really interesting conversation there, because when we were talking earlier with someone, they were talking about what's it really costing us to incarcerate people in real time and take the money out. So you were talking about teachers, for example, and how does a 14 million or a 16 or 18 million dollar loss in our taxes affect an actual family? So someone wants to talk about that. I've done a lot. I've done a lot of um, volunteering over the years, and this is Irene. And in uh, the '80s and '90s, um, all the things that we need now uh, have disappeared from our community <clears throat> in the last thirty or forty years. We used to have a lot of treatment centers. We used to have uh, counseling services where people could go um, talk about their problems and be helped out of out of the doldrums <clears throat> and and have connecting services. We have very few connecting services now. We have some 
token programs that make it look like we do, but most people do not have a continuum of services like it's like it's touted by our officials. Um, and talking about homelessness and, and people getting priced out of their homes, uh, it's 10 times cheaper and more effective to keep someone in their home than to allow them to go homeless and then get them back out of the ditch. That was proven back in the 80s or 90s. And um, that was the reason that housing first became the slogan in those days. You house someone first and and you solve at least half of their problems by that one step. Well, it's interesting because it's actually become housing first has been misused in a way in our community because what we've done is we've commercialized the housing market. We've actually used the housing the housing first motto to pretend that we have to build these whole perfectly coiffed homes and facilities that people can live in. And it's, it's, it's actually been difficult for people who have been living homeless to move from a homeless environment to thinking that they can just jump up and listen, live in a whole, you know, apartment unit separated from reality. When what we actually are finding is that people need a gradient of housing or sheltering services to move up, perhaps through tiny home villages, through ha perhaps through collabor collaborative or cooperative living situations to group living, and then eventually graduate up to different levels. And people have different amounts of consumption that they have or services that they need or ability to work. So a comment on uh, jumping up, you know, adding on to what you're saying, they don't come in with a full set of furniture and what have you, kitchen appliances and whatever else they're going to need to survive. They don't even understand how, some of them don't even understand how to get that stuff. And then there's the utilities and all the rest of the peripheral expenses that everybody has. And they, they need a whole crash course in how to live in an actual dwelling. It's not that simple. So I agree with you that, that you know, they need some guidance all the way through. I, I would piggyback also on that comment, Christy, in terms of what Irene just said with certain things in the past disappearing. I can remember when I was in high school, there was a class on budgeting, yeah. another thing that disappeared. And that yeah. would address what you just brought up in terms of, you know, people would, you know, individuals, if they're looking for an apartment or something or other, they might go on the website and it says, okay, your rent is X amount of money, but that does not take into consideration. What are you spending on food? What are you spending on traffic? Do you have a bus pass? Do you have an automobile that you need to keep running? Your healthcare costs, what are you pouring into that? Good point. This is kind of newer to the community. Uh, just recently saw I think some statistics that indicated that uh, Whatcom County, at least Bellingham, I think, at least maybe it's Whatcom County, uh, is now largest percentage of renters over homeowners. And I'm not clear that people have really talked about that. I looked at that up. What does that say about how people are able to live in this community and how they're able to be and who can have long-term uh, sustainable contributions in our community? Uh, if if you're not able to stay here, if you have to, or you're more temporary, I think I haven't heard that conversation. I've heard it among people. I'm not, I'm not really heard it among public officials and stuff and saying that this seems to be like a significant awareness of what's going on and how the income is going to be there. I mean, if I were looking at this, I, my job has been in the past to work in a lot of communities around the country and some of them working on a regional basis that we had to shift in the 80s and 90s to get these corporations and others to begin to say that they had to also be involved with local communities through your leadership to think about how do you keep a healthy region when you're going to have your businesses there and how do you plan for stratified opportunities for people of different levels of income and capacity to stay in those communities or otherwise you gentrify whether your intention is to do that or not and i'm concerned about that with this region it looks like the pattern of gentrification whether it's intentional or not is happening uh and that so it becomes instead of a place of the kind it historically has been uh homes and families and community in that sense 
uh, it becomes much more of a of a who can afford to live here and and how do I get my needs met versus thinking about having a kind of comprehensive community. Uh, and I that concerns me. It seems like we're not asking the right questions in the sense of what do you want in your community, getting clear on that, and then saying, how do we make a budget that supports what we want in our community? So we have a collective sense of where we're going. Well, no, I I, I don't want to jump ahead, but I, it, my mind, I wake up a couple of times thinking about the, what's the future based on what we're doing now? Because what I know is that often there are things called unintended consequences. <laughs> and yeah. so when you're thinking about planning and doing a major kind of uh, change like this, this is actually a, a, a nexus point, as I would call it, in the life of, of Whatcom County. Um, and it's going to shape, I think, for decades, the future and the live options that are going to be available for people. And so I was thinking, I know I've heard all the things about, well, we have to move it. We have to put it in fear uh, Ferndale. Um, and then I said, okay. So in my mind, I put this big prison in the middle of Ferndale. Poor Ferndale. And, <laughs> and I said, whoa, that's a community right now. Lots of folks there. They, they're trying to have neighborhoods. They're trying to figure out how to deal with their kids and the other kind of stuff. And wh where's the land in Ferndale where the kind of new future possibilities and resources and need centers and service centers for the people there could be located. And some people say, well, the best spot is where, as I'm understanding it, they want to put the prison now. So the issue is, do we want to have a, 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 a prison complex, a, a prison mall as the major point and vision for Ferndale and for the area, because that's a regional economy, we're growing more and more regionally. That's going to master that. Or is that the best use of some of the most valuable land for serving a region that we have? Because you can't put two things in the same places at the same time. So either if we're going to create the prison there, the prison mall, or we're going to create something for the future of people mall. Well, and it's the future the of education. It's actually the future of education and tourism. That's a major economic development, like industrial development area. And it's the only one we have on I-5 between the south and the north. I mean, it's a major accessible industrial space next to the Lummi Nation, which is also an industrial truck stop space. But where's our recreation? Where's our educational institute? Where's our sports facilities? Where's our creative cultural connections where you've got enough room for parking to exist to allow us to bring in tourism or to allow us to bring in events and cultural events that can actually generate revenue for the community as opposed to what you're talking about there mel is is do we really want a corrections corporation of america type of facility taking up 40 acres within view of i-5 well, it feels like to me that the jobs that are going to be generated there are not going to provide a significant income stream in the same way that having those other kinds of options and opportunities would for the community and for its future. Uh, so, I mean, it just doesn't make sense to me. I'm really honest to utilize that land in that way, especially when I, I want to be clear. I believe that there are people who really do need to be incarcerated. So it's not. This is not an issue of saying I'm, I'm anti. Or I don't believe in prisons or jails. I think they have a purpose, but they ought to be a purpose for people who truly need to be involved and, and there to protect culture, to protect society. And they've done things that deserve long-term correction opportunities while they're not harming anyone else. But it seems that on the other end of that. Why don't we spend a little more time meeting the conditions of people so they don't have to go to jail or prison? That they're simple things. We don't have enough housing for people not to be homeless. That's not, and people want to stay warm. They want to be sheltered. If they don't have enough money to buy food and feed their families, it'd be irresponsible as a human being not to want to feed your family. So if you don't have a job to do it, you're going to create ways to do it. I'm not trying to be iffy-diffy here, but just being honest, we're talking about survival and well-being. 
And the more we can op provide the opportunities in healthy ways for people to meet their well-being and survival and their, feed their families, help them get what they need, uh, then we have reduced the need for people to have alternative ways of surviving. So when you're when you're talking about that, Mel, it's also important, and this is why it gets so confusing when people try to discuss the subject of incarceration, should you or should you not buy a jail or should you or should you not do rehabilitation. When we're talking about a jail, we're not talking about a prison. We're not typically, we want a jail for people who are awaiting trial to decide whether or not they're going to go into long-term incarceration, like in a statewide prison. But when you have a jail and you need to incarcerate people who are violent, some of those facilities do need to be built like a maximum security prison, right? It's a maximum security jail. We already have a 150-bed minimum security jail that was built that's perfectly in good shape. We have another jail that's downtown that is our maximum security facility, and it could be reduced in capacity. Like you could you could cut 50% of the people out of that jail and move them either into the lower minimum security facility that we've got, put them on EHM. We could also move the sheriff's office out of that building so that you make up space. You can do cleaning and maintenance and recovery work on those facilities. There are many things you can do if you have flexible facilities. What they're talking about doing is building one huge facility. Their plan is to build a 2,450 bed adult corrections facility. They don't call it that now because what they're trying to do was create it into a pretty face, a justice system. Well, if you do that, then they're talking about putting rehabilitation and social services in there. That's stuff that you're not supposed to put in a jail facility, that stuff that actually should be hosted somewhere else. And so they're mixing up these metaphors and mixing up this language and confusing people so we don't know what we're buying. So, right. Irene, do you want to say something about that? You had your hand up, so I was assuming that you might want to. If not, Christy, go ahead. Uh, the, I want to point out also that the existing number of deputies that are um, inside the detention facility right now are just going to move over to this new place. And so the only way that there will be an increase in employment in that jail is if they increase the bed count. And that's the worrisome thing is that um, the, the verbiage in the actual proposal that county council voted on is so ambiguous that then and it was asked actually in that night when they voted on it to specify, are you talking about beds or are you talking about cells? And they deliberately left it ambiguous. They'd made that conscious decision that night to leave it that way so that people did not know what they were saying. Well, well they, in other words, we don't really know what we're voting on. <laughs> we have no idea what we're voting on. If you actually read the, the report on where the money's coming from and where it's going to and what they're doing with it, there is no really good fiscal needs assessment or fiscal analysis of where the money is, where it's going from or where it's come from. And we're already paying on multiple jail sales taxes and multiple criminal justice taxes. And the public doesn't even have a solid accounting of what that has to say. That's true. And you can't find it. If you look no. for it, if you look for it in the budgets, you can't find it. That's that's one of the hardest things to understand. When they did the budget, they changed the way that budget. See, government budgets and government accounting systems don't work the same way as normal business accounting systems either. And part of the reason for that is because in private business, when you are running cash flow analysis, you actually have to pay for your liabilities and you have to pay for the risks and you have to pay for all these things. And in the government, they just assume that if you mismanage the money, a next a, the next group of politicians will come in and they'll pass another tax to just pick up the tab for all the things that you screwed up with before, which is actually the mess we're in because we haven't been managing our budgets and we haven't been taking care of the facilities the way that we, the people, expect the government to do it. So, Christy, do you want to talk about it? You've got a background in accounting and money management. What are you seeing as some of the challenges that we're facing with the way that the government is pushing us to buy this jail? 
I guess the biggest issue is that the the human needs, which are just over the top right now um, in our county for mental health treatment, you know, substance abuse treatment, housing subsidies, food and utility assistance and lunch for children. You know, it goes on and on that those areas need to be funded. And this is going to take away from those and replace it with a negative, you know, facility that will not contribute to any of the things that I listed at all. In fact, they will do harm to every single category that I mentioned. So in fact, what you're talking about is the fact that in in our society, the way we've organized it today is that we have a lot of little tiny nonprofits that end up picking up the tab for filling in the gaps between government funded, fully funded, high cost, you know, high, high tax consumption systems as different from local living economic systems that in the olden days, so to speak, when we actually had nonprofits that were funded and people were working in the philanthropic realm to actually help those particular services. There were churches that stepped up to the plate. Grange Halls did things. There were a lot of local networks that worked together to fill in this public safety community relationships type thing. And over the last 20 years, we've seen most of those safety nets disappear. Correct. And they can't possibly pick up the slack. There's just not enough nonprofits not enough funding for them, not enough mental health professionals, not enough. There's just not enough resources to pick up the slack. So, so let's let's talk about going forward. So if we don't want that, then what is the opportunity we have? Because there's always an opportunity on the other side of a negative. So what's the opportunity that we're missing out of if we put all that money into the jail and justice system and locking people up and helping to perpetuate a, a more or less punishment-based economy, where does all of the money that could be going in our community, the local living economy, what I saw was that we have a wholesale sea that needs to be empowered. We have the old business alliance for local living economies. We have Restore and the, re- and the sustainable economics or the sustainable, what do we call it? Uh, sustainable community, sustainable connections. We have resources, we have land trusts, we have Serenity Outreach Services, Tiny Home Villages, all these organizations, including the Restorative Community Coalition. Irene, do you want to speak briefly about what the Restore Life Center was originally planned for? We haven't been able to be funded for that. I'd love to, Joy. Thank you. Um, When I first, before I started this coalition, we started out as the Whatcom County Reentry Coalition um, because my focus at the time was on people returning from prison to help them become, uh, to, to support them so they could become independent and and not recidivate and not go back to the to the prisons and, and jails. And it, it took a little while, but I finally realized that, um, and I was told over and over by Every public official I talk to, the system's broken, Irene. It's just, we all know it's broken, but we just don't know how to, we don't know how to fix it. And what I realized was the system's not broken. The system is, runs exactly the way it was designed to work. And that's to keep the churn going, to keep people recidivating, going back. Uh, and and what what solidified it in my mind, it wasn't just a guess, it was my experience that when someone is released from prison, they're released with a $40 check and a prison ID, the same ID that they wear inside the prison to be able to cash their $40 check that no bank will recognize that prison ID. So -hmm. that's the first barrier. The second barrier is they have no money to buy anything. They, uh, at the time there was a $5 coupon that they could get their, um, for their ID, their um, um, driver's license or um, watching state ID, 
But without that $5, the coupon did them no good, and they still had the $40 check if they hadn't thrown it away in disgust already. Um, and I, I can't tell you how many people I've paid, gone to the uh, Department of Licensing with them to get their Washington State ID so that they could actually be identified as who they really are instead of a, a former prisoner. So um, that that was the first thing that that really hit me upside the head. And th there's no there's no understanding anything other than it's a setup for failure. Mm -hmm. And so this this just ripples out and connects with every other thing with housing with work. If you if you have a record, you um, you're on on somebody's website somewhere as having a record. I know people that have not been able to uh, go into Canada or get a job or, or their housing has been terminated because an old, decades old felony showed up on their record that should have not been there. But if you don't take the, even if you take the proper steps, sometimes that record never goes away. And that's another setup for failure. And so one of the things you've done, Irene, is you've built in the Restoral Life Center ideas, these little hubs, these little these little uh, centers could be in every single community hosted in little tiny communities. They could be in little houses. They're little viral. They're little hubs where people can go get their public services. They can get their support and they can build themselves a rope ladder to climb out in the community where they live naturally. So we're talking about jails as different from prisons also. When you're talking about a local problem, this is a local problem of people who live here. Well, it's not just, it's just not prison um, records. It's jail. If, if you have a record of any sort, a conviction record, it's going to show up somewhere to, to throw a stick in your spokes, sure. to, to show, to, to um, divert you and to, keep you from from going forward and thriving. And this is what I see. There's so much damage done in the incarceration system. And Joy, you did your your chart um, for those people who had gone into to jail or just calling 911 started the the whole process of of um, causing people distress when they're trying to just trying to get by and, and and just trying to do the right thing. It so really, there's so many things that that affect someone's abilities to make wise decisions. Most of the time, they're just they're in a, they're in survival mode. So and it's one hard. of the things that we could really work to help each other with. We've all gone through over the last three years. We went through COVID crisis. We went through lockdowns. We went through shutdowns. We went through all of these things that are all trauma informed. One of the big opportunities we have in society today is to actually help our local community people, all of us, because a lot of people were affected by grief and death and separation and isolation. And there's side effects of all those things. A lot of our newer generation children, they're having problems with learning because they were separated from you know, socialization for three or four years as they had to do everything on Zoom and they weren't allowed to go to school. So there's side effects that we also need to talk about. So there's uh, there's a book called, or there's a website out there that you can look up. It's called the Campaign for Trauma-Informed Policy and Practice. They have a toolkit for trauma-informed workplaces and they talk a lot about what we have to do to recover from the effect of this trauma that's out there right now. And just locking people into jails and building, you know, taking $18 million a year out of our local community economy and putting it into building big buildings when what could that 18 million do if we if we didn't take it out of the economy i'm not saying to pass the tax anyway and just put it into local living economy i'm saying don't take it out of the economy in the first place let it circulate the multiplier effect of positive things going on in the local living economy actually has its own positive multiplier effect because the money recirculates in a local economy I'd like to hearken back a little bit to what Christy said in, in terms of, you know, 
if we just keep imprisoning people that have been traumatized, not only is it going to exacerbate, um, exacer- I can't exacerbate. say that, exacerbate <laughs> um, their situation, but um, you know, housing costs are going to go up. Um, more, it's going to increase trauma. We already have a segment of the community, particularly teenagers, that are vaping. Okay, because they're looking for an escape. They're already traumatized. That's a recipe for getting them connected into a jail. Mm-hmm. How about using those resources to create some of these trauma-informed settings? A workplace is great, but also trauma-informed schools. That's a huge movement right now. So that there's conversations in the schools in terms of how can kids feel good about themselves? How can they see that they are worthy, they belong, they're valuable? Each of them is a creative genius. How can we um, speak to that creative genius in our youth rather than trying to force them into some preconceived mold of what they should do? Mm-hmm. So one of the big things that when I was looking at Ferndale as a as you take the major industrial area, the major crossroads of transportation and business in Whatcom County, we got rivers that flow around Whatcom County and they they create certain landlocks, you know, where transportation doesn't go. So we've got a major east west corridor that goes from Mount Baker out to the ocean that goes past between two different um, native tribal land sovereign nations we have large amounts of land that's sitting in the mount baker snoqualmie national forest and what's interesting is i started looking at it you know i stood up at the thirty thousand foot view sort of like an eagle looking out over the the whole area and i'm going if you put a major industrial facility which is a corrections type compound in the middle of that intersection and when people are driving by on the freeway, what they say is Washington, you know, Whatcom County Adult Corrections Facilities and Sheriff's Headquarters, and that's your tourist site. You know, a lot of people aren't going to want to even stop in Ferndale, let alone, I mean, they don't know what's there. People are, I know that when I drove south through California and I looked at prison after prison after prison, I didn't want anything to do with California at all. I mean, it was like, I don't even want to get out of the car. And so when you shut down tourism in Whatcom County, I used to work at the Visitor and Convention Bureau. We had like a a huge multiplier on money that is spent on tourism. When people feel friendly and alike and they have a place to go to, I mean, there are entire counties that have recreation facilities, entertainment facilities. We don't even have a really good recreation and entertainment facility for our own teenagers to go, to go up to a water a good water slides or water recreation facility, you got to go to Matsqui, which is across the border, or you got to go down into Seattle. So what if you did have, I mean, Lloyd Zimmerman at one point in Ferndale, he was a county or city councilman out there. He had a vision for building a double dome project. This would be a recreational facility where on one side, you've got a swimming pool, athletic center, real active place for the kids that are growing up in Whatcom County can come play People who are coming through the area would have some place for their children to play if they want to go climbing up at Mount Baker, they want to go bike riding or whatever they want to go do. From a tourism standpoint, there's an athletic facility that is intended to be an entertainment facility for our own kids. On the other side of the Double Dome project was the idea to have it as a cultural healing center or a place where people could come learn about the cultural and native healing plants how to actually take care of and do trauma-informed stuff. And in the space between the two domes, he had a huge planetarium and aquarium type place set up that would allow us to teach people how to do all the green business and living systems businesses that are so necessary to do rehabilitation of our land and our water. I mean, we live in one of the most resourceful communities 
in the in the bioregion. My God, when you look at Mount Baker, I mean, I'm sorry, I, I got excited. But when you look at Mount Baker, we go from the ocean across the Canadian mountain range to the other side. So that water from the west side of Whatcom County goes into the ocean directly. We, all that water, that fresh water, it goes down the Nooksack River, the north-south, middle fork of the Nooksack, feeding the the fisheries. That water is going right into Bellingham Bay. Sure, great. But we don't look, we don't even think about the fact that on the east side of Mount Baker, when we go over the top of the Cascade Mountain Range, the water on the other side floods down. It's fresh water that is feeding into the Columbia River Basin. So the Columbia River Basin, that water is going all the way around and nourishing all of eastern Washington and comes out on the on, down by Oregon. That water is outside. That fresh water coming out of the Mount Baker watershed is feeding directly into the Pacific Ocean. I mean, think about that. And then think about this. The east side of the Mount Baker Snoqualmie National Forest, that water from the south is feeding right down into the Skagit River Valley and down into the area that nourishes the Puget Sound with fresh water. If you go to the north side of the Mount Baker Snoqualmie National Forest, guess where that water flows? <laughs> it flows down into the Fraser River Canyon and into Canada, and that water comes out on the north side of our watershed. So that's fresh water coming from our the stuff that we have in Whatcom County. Well, why are we not thinking about what are the things that we can do to revitalize, rejuvenate, and rebuild the Puget Sound? Well, see, that's, that's the conversation that we wish, and I think should be going on, Joy, what you're lifting up when I talked about the regional perspective earlier, is the sense of you can see third way solutions. When you're Absolutely. looking at the balcony and you look at the dynamics and the resource, this is a highly resource center and region. A lot of There are a lot of smart folks here. There are a lot of great organizations here doing things. But what we know in several of the other communities we've lived in, we've been in communities when we could see how people could make things happen, that they had worked in such a ways in silos and independently that they couldn't see the collective possibility. And the simple thing we did was to invite people to come together and share their visions. And it was amazing when we got people to put it on, real people, citizens, local folks, not just the paid professionals and government officials, but real people coming together and putting out their visions and their understandings because they often knew there were real problems and how to deal with them or they had ideas of what somebody else to do that was a correction caused a problem in their area, but there was no dialogue or vehicle for a store to get out. So it could work out and be balanced out. So I'm looking at this community and I, I know I've gotten to know a lot of the organizations here now. And I feel like we really need a big Congress of the people getting together. That doesn't mean everybody has to love each other. It doesn't mean we all have the same perspectives when we come into that. But if we come in with honest intent um, and we get beyond the chaos, then we will find ways that will show us pathways and possibilities. And I think what we've learned is build some trust and create some hope that people will be beginning to again, will once again really begin engaged in creating what they want. And so I think this is a reason why this election is so important as we see it, as I see it, as we've talked about it, because we could not pass this resolution on the tax, but we still can take the next year or two and actually develop a comprehensive regional plan that takes into those realities for the future people really envision. That's and still, it is not, it's going to be better than spending a lot of things, putting something in place that won't take us down the path that will correct what is the problems we're facing and will disempower the people and the resources to trust that they can trust other folks to make it happen on their behalf. You know, it's interesting. I, when I first started looking at the prison industrial complex and, it, and looking at law and I was looking at how difficult, you know, what had happened to Whatcom County when I moved here in the 70s, it was a going place. I mean, we had entire networks of people who were focused on what was the economy going to be. And it wasn't fractured at the same in the same way that it is right now. It's like our political structure has fractured so that you've got business people and industrial people over here as different from the greenways and the and the 
economic people that are worrying about sustainability over here. And then you got these people who are concerned about jail and prison issues over here. And so we're like fractured instead of working together as a whole. And what's interesting about that is that over the last, what, oh God, I guess I came here in the 70s. So I guess that's almost 50 years. What I've watched is us go regressive. We don't have people that are running for office that are running on visionary platforms of what is the potential of Whatcom County? What could we really do? Now, some of that was shut down because we had 9-11. We had these various things that happened that closed the border. But that also means that Whatcom County became a little bit like a crucible. It's like we're living in our own little space, you know, sort of locked in. And it's almost like living in a Bunsen. I don't know if it's a Bunsen burner is the right word, but you're living inside this little space where there's no inflow and outflow. So what I did when Irene and I started looking at these problems, we went global. And I went and did a lot of work on Humanity Rising to find out what were countries doing? What were people outside of our region doing? And one of the episodes we've been actually, we've started doing the I Change Justice podcasts. They're online. You can get on them on our local uh, 94.1 FM station, but you can look them up on our podcast. We got like a whole bunch of podcast outlets, but we've got a, over a hundred episodes where we started listening to people that were from outside the area. And we just aired one uh, yesterday that has to do with Ian Lewis. He's from England and he's worked with, with um, in, he started out as part of the military guard working with the uh, Prince Charles or King Prince Charles at the time. And he started working on how do we actually solve problems having to do with military domination. And he started Life College and Life College now has thousands of students that they've they've trained around the world in leadership. And he started using education as a replacement for imprisonment. And so the episode that was just aired is about him doing that work and how education replaces incarceration in many countries now in Europe. They don't even have prisons. And there's a whole different economy that got evolved. And then he's actually also involved in the World Cetacean Alliance. He's a trustee. So he's concerned about what's happening with the whales and the dolphins and the and the fish of the of the oceans. And he's very interested in the Pacific Rim and the and the Pacific Ocean. I mean, we've got a rare thing going on with the orcas. And he said every time that those those whales run into major fishing things, they get hurt. And we are in the Pacific Ocean. You know, we were, were affected by Fukushima. We've been affected by the, you know, the, the bombs that dropped in Pearl Harbor and the bombs that were dropping and there's wounding and there's all this stuff, but we can heal that. We've got waste, plastic waste in the Pacific Ocean. There's a whole economic opportunity there. If we start thinking about this, we have ports of Bellingham where we could be working with people who are doing cleanup in the Pacific Ocean. That's amazing, but we have to have the vision and the capacity to do it. And you're right, Mel, looking at that makes you start look at what do we need? We've got downtown Bellingham ports just moving everything out of there and saying, okay, let's take the homeless out of downtown Bellingham and put them in Fairhaven so we don't have to look at them. That's a very gentrified and limited perspective on what we need to do. Our county is a whole county and we have agriculture and farm. We have farmland that's amazing. Yeah, we have a lot of opportunities. That's one of the things that's interesting about this region. I think, as I said, I talked to nationally a lot of other folks and I've worked with a lot of regions. One of the things that's interesting, this is almost in some ways a living lab of how we might in fact help our nation and our country be able to find a different way of, of mutual survival. I mean, we have we do have relations here authentically with with uh, with uh, indigenous people and their understanding. We have re we have little, real relationships, not just hypothetical ones, with folks in the region. We have the learned learnings of the past of their ancestors and others and their understandings. Um, we've had farm workers and others uh, who have helped get this economy grow and 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 the farm come together. Uh, We've got people uh, from uh, a variety of, of places and spaces who come here and bring solutions and have ideas of how things can really work. 
Uh, and I think also what I find here more deeply in many other parts of the country is an understanding of the reality of our uh, of of the environment and the fragility of human life on it. And some other parts of the country, that's even not an issue that they can really continually put time and energy into because of the other dynamics. And we actually have the possibility here almost to be a living lab of how we can help the people of our country find a way by taking and elevating our understanding of what we're trying to do and how we want to live in, a, in, in an inclusive society, in a humane society that we take into account real issues and real risks and realities and not deny them, but take them on and work with trying to find solutions from wherever they are. As you're saying, around the world, if a solution is a solution, and I say that uh, because recently, Rose and I had the privilege of meeting Don Kirshner, who came and spent some time with us, who has a nice book called Beyond the Chaos, Restoring Hope for Humanity. And I'm saying that we can model that, restoring hope for our nation and for humanity. And, and I'll say this because uh, Don was once upon a member prime part of this community. And he actually took some of the stuff that he had learned here in terms of working with RCC and others and the kinds of ways you were helping people. And he moved when he moved to uh, Arizona, he was able to be able to Quite honestly, he was incarcerated at one point, but he was able to take the learnings and stuff he had and to model just what I'm saying in a situation and begin to teach other people to change their vision about what they could do and how they could be worthy in the world. And it took off like crazy. And now he's actually, as you say, teaching and educating. He educated a lot of the prison officials and others who actually found out he had some things to say and do and other inmates, and they actually, he got an early release. And I say that because people saw he was giving a vision that made more sense than keeping him in jail. And he was helping other people change their living lives and their vision of what they could be in our culture. And that now he, he says, it's ironic, I learned this in Bellingham. I learned this in Rockham County. I just took what you guys are doing here to Arizona and it started in one place and the wardens and other folks and the sheriffs have gotten together and adopted it as a vision now for, for Arizona. So how can he take what we grew here and another state can decide they ought to adapt it in their whole prison system and we can't even figure out how to do it in a way ourselves here? Well, that's crazy. That is crazy. And it's been one of the challenges that we've had. But here's, I want to spin back off, Mel, of the happiness that I hear when you start talking about the Native American culture. We've got White Swan Environmental. White Swan Environmental has is an institute here that is a nonprofit. And this woman, she's, an, she's also a nurse. She, so she understands the medical model. But her family is very, they've got seven generations of living humans who understand what the longhouses were like when they were spread all over the Salish Sea. We've got the Salish Sea Reserve. It's now a, you know, the idea of working with everything from the Strait of Georgia, the Strait of Juan de Fuca the, and the uh, Puget Sound as it connects to the larger Pacific Ocean. Well, she, her vision, and they're working to do this, is to put longhouses as healing centers back in all across the San Juan Islands and the, the lower mainland BC in those island chains so that we, they can rebuild what used to be a, a naturally sustaining ecosystem where they actually work with fish and food and reef netting and these things. But their wisdom and their knowledge about how nature works is extraordinary. Then you have Children of the Setting Sun. That's another one. That's a That's a movie production company with the people from the Lummi Nation who are writing about how do we actually do regenerative things in in Whatcom County and what is the heritage that comes from the Native American peoples. And they talk about mental health and recovery and programs. And those are amazing. Those are amazing pieces of, of knowledge that's helping us to understand 
reservation schools and helping us to understand the domination system and the the way that our the Native American culture was eradicated and genocided across the entire U.S. They've done a lot of work in the doctrine of discoveries to understand how colonization, okay, it started with suppression and the admiralty law and the doctrine of discoveries and all this stuff that was moving from the European culture originally across the oceans. It became part of our admiralty law problems and our law and justice things, and it fed into all of these issues around slavery and oppression and colonization. And today, guess what? The Pope has visited in British Columbia and he was interested in trying to figure out how do we actually repair the damage that comes from this, this domination system. And so today, I recently went up to uh, the Peace Arch with Mel to talk about what happened at the Peace Arch and why we originally wanted to have completely open borders and there's 40 acres sitting up there that's between BC and Washington state where we talk about being able to meet in this open space between the two nations and have conversations without having to cross the border. And yet, interestingly enough, as you're standing at the peace arch in the last 20 years, one of the things that we've done is we built great big fortified uh, border crossings that cost us hundreds of millions of dollars, both on the BC side and the US side because of 9-11, because of COVID. There's been some shutdowns at the border and that's not what was intended. So these things have potential. What if we could actually start really working with the peace arch, with the hope between borders, with being able to help spread the, the good news that we do know from our indigenous culture here. So there are many things that we can do, working with our salmon, working with our food supply, working with our farm supply. So in fact, what you're talking about here, it's interesting, we're talking about um, interfaith or, or people across uh, spiritual cultures coming together to work with people in the community and to work with organizations in the community that are not just spiritual, like are just religious. You're talking about cross-sectional interactions from not just across the religious groups, but up and down the ecosystem ladder. You're talking about helping people who have been bucked off the ecosystem or the, the civic economy, helping them to move up so they can go from being, you know, broken or wounded or hurt to being able to go up and become economically viable and then become mentors and trainers in an, an economically smart area like doing job core type training and school training and education. And then we're talking about ecological crossovers. So in all levels, we're talking about building this, this synergy between people that makes our world better and that uses the resources that we have and the knowledge that we've gleaned from ancient peoples to modern sciences, because we've got world-class institutes here, and that's a conversation for another day, but we've got colleges and universities and resources to, to bring into the conversation that could make Whatcom County truly a leadership in the, a leadership county in the world to build duplicatable systems that can help train people, move them out, help them help ourselves, help our world be a better place. So anybody have any last comment or are we pretty complete? Amen. <laughs> I think the last thing that we all can go away with is the reality that our future is in our hands. Yep. Mm -hmm. And our vote. Amen. Our vote. Oh, the good news. Here's the most important thing I forgot to talk about is that if we vote against uh, taking $18 million out of the community, we then have two months because we're also electing a new executive. We're electing a brand new sheriff for the first time in 20 some years. We've got new uh, board members and mayors and people coming out from our schools. We got two months before those people are elected and, and sworn into office in January, February. So once they come in, then they're living underneath the rubric of new realities because they have a responsibility to corporations to do things. 
Well, guess what? In 2024, Whatcom County has an opportunity that for the first time in 10 years, every 10 years, the Whatcom County Charter is reviewed so that if we want to change our operating systems, if we want to change how we do business in Whatcom County, this is the year to prepare for it. And we can do a lot of work to evaluate how we've been operating the last 10 years and what could we do differently with new officials, with an evaluation of the past, not to look at anybody who's done anything wrong, but to say we're in the 21st century. The world's moving fast. There's a lot of things that happened the last three years that have challenged us. What are we going to do to adapt to the future so that we can build a world we want to live in and be be the ancestors of the future? That's what we're writing for. So thank you all for joining us. Thank you all for listening. Please share our podcast with your friends and family. Subscribe at Spotify, iTunes, or from your favorite playlists. At therestorativecommunity.org, you're invited to subscribe to our newsletter, connect through social media, or send us feedback on our shows. If you're inclined to help, you can volunteer, donate, learn more, and connect at info at therestorativecommunity.org. Contributing helps us empower those silenced by oppression so they can emerge into their higher potential. Thank you.